Hello there, my name is David Thompson from the Fraser Valley in British Columbia with a message for all those that are hungry and thirsty for reality, for ultimate meaning and destiny in your lives. I'm doing things different today because my introductions have been becoming very large. So I've broken things up to two videos. The first video is a message for everyone from every background that points them to what is not religious, what is ultimately real and highly verified. So I won't go into that. This message is for those that have come to know the one true God for whom to know is life eternal. It is for those that have received who God could only be. God is love, and his love has such integrity that it is, as it were, a blazing fire of judgment against all that is contrary to love. It is love that is so pure that it always chooses the highest lasting good over any lesser choice because any lesser choice as such would have a measure of corruption in it. It is the acknowledgement that God and his love is holy, is severe on corruption and sin, but is good, so that we do not view all the suffering in the world and the suffering in our own lives as being because somehow God is the source or is blamed for it. We recognize that God allows these things that are contrary to his love to experience the consequences which are death, which are corruption. And that is what's involved in the genuine fear of God. It is rightly receiving who God is first in the integrity of his love, the purity of his love. And only when you do that can you then receive the grace of God, or actually, firstly, the mercy of God and then the grace of God, which is the favor of God. Because God's love, as you know, is so great that he came and humbled himself more than you, a mere creature on the cross, suffered more than you, a mere creature on the cross. He became a perfect atoning substitutionary sacrifice for you so that you could choose to repent and be reconciled to God. And in the first message I did today, which was 51 minutes, a lot of that is even described there. But this message is for those that have come to know the one true God through Jesus Christ, for whom to know is life eternal. And so, with these messages, I want you to understand, for those that are new, that I always seek to allow God to speak through me. Because the word of God commands in 1 Peter 4.11, if any man speak, let him speak as the oracles of God. 
So I will seek to do that in this message. And to further, further explain, it says in Revelations 19.10, worship God for the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. It is only when we worship God in great reverence and awe of who he is out of love for God, when we worship God in spirit and in truth, that we are filled with a spirit that overflows in utterances beyond ourselves. Out of worship comes the spirit of prophecy, it says in that verse, which is basically speaking as the oracles of God or allowing God to speak through us. And we are to seek to do that at all times, to allow God to speak through us to people that don't know God or while we're just doing things in the home and someone else is there doing the dishes with us or whatever. We should always be seeking to allow life to come out of us, not just meaningless words that don't bring a blessing and bring someone into a closer relationship with God. But God is calling his church to come into such a relationship. And in the typical church services you have nowadays, there's such a little bit of that happening. People get up and they just mouth off things without even being in a heart set and a mindset of worship. Or they got all kinds of notes and everything that they're depending on. Well, if you're in your relationship with God and you're spending time in prayer and time in the word, you don't need notes. Well, you might need a few notes if you want to refer people to specific verses and so on, but that's all you need. Well, I have a lot to share, and I don't know what I'm going to share in this message because I don't prepare these messages, except for a little bit. What I do is I cast lots to get the possibility of any chapter in the Word of God, and I do it with two independent random applications to get two chapters, one from one application, the other from the other, that they might both bear witness with each other, that I might discover, in other words, the theme or the message that is in those two chapters taken by lot before God. And then I just meditate a half an hour on them, just pasting a few things in and maybe a point here or there, but usually I just paste scripture in. And then I speak not knowing what I'm gonna speak so that I will allow God to speak through me more that way than if I got in the way with my own intellect and prepared things. We are to seek to speak prophetically to one another in the body of Christ. And so I will be sharing with you what I received this week. I'm only doing one video message a week right now. So I do touch on the various things that I've received during the week. And I also cast lots to get a particular song. I don't know how it will fit with the message necessarily but I'm sure God is in it, and I begin almost always, if not always, I do see, once I've preached the message, how that song fit in. I may as well say this right now. God wants the church to wake up because it is overall very much still asleep in the midst of a time when it should have awakened long ago with all the obvious signs of the soon return of Christ. 
with the corruption in high places and all the institutions and governments around the world that is becoming so evident and so obvious. Because I'm doing this still on YouTube, I don't want to say too much. Maybe I'll eventually go over to Rumble completely. Start doing my video messages there so I can be a little more specific on things. But I, such is, that might trigger some, you know what. So, I am here to speak out of a heart set and a mindset of worship. And I want to emphasize that God is calling for the church to wake up. And what I believe he's wanting across here where I am in Canada and in the United States is for people to organize and to come together for three days of fasting and prayer and to turn to God as never before in repentance. Especially it would be appropriate in the days of awe that are coming up, which are the feasts of the Lord that the Jewish people keep that are Orthodox Jews. And conservative Jews, I guess, do as well. But, you know, whether it happens sooner or later, it needs to happen. But more than that, when we have in all the major towns and cities across the nation, them turning to God and repenting of loving the world, the gods of amusement, which are the gods of sports, that all kinds of pastors condone and think it's just okay for Christians to be okay with all these things that take up their time, not saying it's wrong or that you are condemned if you want to relax and watch sports. What I'm saying is what is taking up your time and your priorities? Is it those things that, like alcohol, trip you up and get you addicted? Some, it's literally alcohol. Others, it's the gods of pleasure or idleness. When the word of God says we're to redeem the time because the days are evil. He is calling for the body of Christ to wake up. And come into a new order so that when you have those days of seeking God and of repenting, that you never go back to being the church the way you were. And if you can't organize and rally to come together in your city to seek God, at least in your church, come into this new order that God is calling for in the last days. Yeah, the world, the evil world system is calling for a new order, but Christ is also calling for a new order that will not limit the fullness of the headship of Christ from inhabiting the local assembly. I have seen pastors get up that are so desensitized. They don't speak as the oracles of God. They just mouth off things. I heard a pastor recently mouth off and say, you can never let God down. You can never let God down. That is certainly not rightly dividing the word of God. You better qualify what you mean by that. That is not true. If you're lukewarm, God will spew you out of his mouth. You can let God down if you do not repent and come into a first love relationship with him. It is time for the crooked places to be made straight and the rough places smooth in the body of Christ. There is wacky teachings 
out there that are contrary to the fear of God, that are drawing people away from the genuine fear of God, and we just go along with it. Yes, the Lord commended the church of Ephesus for the fact that they tried them that said they were apostles and are not and found them liars. But they had lost their first love, so that's not what is pleasing to God. So you can even be good in all of those things, but God would rather have you in a first love relationship with him. But those things are also important, very important. As Christ said of the Pharisees, you're worried about the thigh and the mint and the cinnamon. You should have done that, but not left the other undone. Well, I am here to share with you what I received, but I want to share with you first the worship song that we will sing that will go along with this message, and I know not what I am going to say except that I do receive chapters and I do find always, almost always, sometimes I fail God and I have to really repent. And when that happens, then I don't get anything that day that where I can find a theme in it, I notice. Even though I've repented. Yeah, but the next day I will again. <laughs> God is merciful. As long as our repentance is genuine. I want to share with you the song, first of all, that we are going to play that I received. So we're going to go to that song now. I believe this is it here. I will minimize myself shortly.
I was in tears of joy singing that song and I have experienced the Lord taking much from me 
in my life, but I know. <laughs> he has his purposes. He's the potter. I'm the clay. He's the skillful artificer. And what I need to say to him is, I choose to be clay, to let you have your way all the day, that I may be filled with the light of your day. Triumphant over the clouds that would be cloud my life. Making up my own spontaneous poem. <laughs> but it's true. Yes, the Lord says that we're to count. He says to the church of Laodicea, I counsel thee to buy of me gold tried in the fire, or I counsel thee to become clay before me, to allow me to work into your life. Yes, you will experience my dealings to deal with the corruption in your life. As I said in the first message, which was to everyone in the world, When you're born again and brought forth anew the Spirit of God to become his child, his daughter, his son. Before your soul, which is your consciousness. Yes, it's your mind, emotion, and will, but it's a lot more. It's your consciousness of who you are. Your spirit, which is the quality in you that has the capacity of worship, is worshiping your soul, which is a state of pride and of hardness like a clenched fist. But when you see how severe God is and that his goodness is against his, the, the integrity of his love that will not tolerate corruption is good when you see that. That's the genuine fear of God. The genuine fear of God chooses to recognize that God is good in his judgment, though it is severe upon this world and all the suffering we see around us and upon us. The consequences of going against his love. But when you are willing to receive the goodness of God in its purity of love, which is the very source of beauty and of all good that ensures that goodness is not destroyed by corruption because love will not tolerate the corruption. When you see that first, then you can see the mercy of God. Only then can you know the mercy of God and also therein the grace of God. And so this clenched fist opens up when it sees that God's love is so great that he took judgment upon himself, that only God has the power to forgive sins. I forgot in that first message that was to the whole world to tell them that the message that existed from the infinite past and will and is in the present and will continue in the infinite future is this, that God's love is so great that it not only will not tolerate corruption and is the destroyer of all corruption, but it is so great that without violating the integrity of his love that requires judgment, God could have such love that he could take judgment upon himself for us as he did in Jesus Christ on the cross. He took judgment upon himself for us on the cross. 
And when you see how great God's love is that he can have the power to forgive you, that is the message. There is only one God, and he has the power to forgive because his being is so great and ultimate in its perfection of love that he could become a perfect atoning substitutionary sacrifice on the cross for you. You open up like a hand and surrender and you're in a state of selfless trust as it says in the word of God. Boasting is excluded by the law of faith. Faith in who God is in these two aspects of his love. First, the integrity of his love from which springs forth in transcendence the mercy and the grace of his love so that you, when you see that mercy and grace, can call out and say, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. And then his spirit comes in to dwell with you in your soul and spirit. And you have a new divine nature, a seed that will sprout and gradually swallow up the black holes of deception with a greater and greater uh, coming into conformity to his image, like a seed springing forth and swiping those little black holes of destructiveness, those little uh, pesky flies, and more and more of them die. Yes, dying doesn't is not easy sometimes, as we saw in the song. Yes, I've experienced loss and loss, and my heart is broken over this and that that I wanted in this temporal world. But oh, how wonderful to come through that into a greater and greater identity with Christ. And those that are his children, God chastises. Those that choose not to be his children, he doesn't chastise. But if you choose to buy of him the gold that's tried in the fire, if you choose to allow him to put you into trials in order to bring all the dross out of your life so it can be skimmed off by your repentance, Gradually, you are so transformed that there's no dross, and soon you can see your face reflected in that gold. And likewise, we can see the face of God. Or we can perceive God in his glory face to face someday. But we come into a greater identity of knowing him too in an intimate way that as it were, though it might be not literally that you're seeing him face to face, you are perceiving him face to face. Now, I want to point out that the message this week often had the word grace in it. And I noticed in the song that we sung that there was the word it reminded me of the verse that I had on grace in that song because it, it was talking about how we would decrease and decrease, which makes me think of a verse that I read here, which I believe was today on Saturday by the casting of Lot, which talks about the decreasing in order to have the grace of God. And so it says here this, in James 4, 5 to 10. Do ye think that the scripture saith in vain, the spirit that dwelleth in us lusteth to envy, but he giveth more grace? Wherefore, he saith, God resisteth the proud, 
but giveth grace unto the humble. Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. How? Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Draw nigh to God, and he will draw nigh to you. Cleanse your hands, ye sinners. You're repenting of your sin if you sin. Purify your hearts, ye double-minded. Even as a believer, you can get double-minded so you get your focus too much on wanting some temporal desire. With me, it's been a struggle wanting a wife, being single all my life. It doesn't mean he won't give me one. I do believe at this point he probably will because I need someone to do ministry with. How many times God broke my heart? That doesn't mean he's calling you to go through what I go through. He's the one that chooses how to mold each of us. And I can easily say, well, why did they, why did Abraham all have a wife and all of these people, and why do I have to be? No, that's not the right attitude. When you're the clay, you don't question God. You come to a place of total surrender where you say, you're the potter, I'm the clay. I humble myself before you. I'm not having a proud attitude to question you, God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Draw nigh to God and he will draw nigh to you. Clint, okay, right. The double-minded, be afflicted and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to heaviness. Humble yourselves, un humble yourselves. I got to just move this verse down. Humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord and he shall lift you up. The way we become strong in the grace of God is to be in the place of humility. And the place of humility involves knowing the secret of abiding in God. And it says the secret of the Lord is with them that fear him. And to them will he show his covenant. And the secret of abiding in God is to rightly fear God. To rightly reciprocate as good the severity of God's judgment against sin in our lives in the lives of others, and to see it as good. And to then therein be able to rightly reciprocate the mercy and the grace of God, which is the favor of God that is, comes upon us. And in the song that we sung, it said that they were rejoicing though God took things from them. And I have had many tears because I've gone through the pain of that kind of heartbreak. But with it, he replaces me into a greater identity and relationship with him to the point where I'm no longer having those corrupt states of self-graspingness in my being, which is a state of covetousness tending towards being idolatrous. It doesn't have to be an idol you worship. You can put your wife first before God. You can put your children first before God. They all need to be put on the altar before God so that you love your children more because you find your identity in God to be able to speak the truth to them instead of fearing that you're going to have them reject you because they mean more to you than your relationship with God. I want to go back to what I received at, on Monday by the casting of Lot before God. 
At first, I couldn't see a theme at all in these chapters. And then I just like, your, your eyes get open and you see it. Sometimes you don't see it until the end of the half hour of meditating. And then suddenly it's there. And usually those are even greater. So there is a very general theme in these chapters, though they're very different. What is the theme? Especially with Job 33 and um, 1 Samuel 24. Sometimes I cast a third lot because I can't see the theme right away. And then I see it when I get the third one, and then I understand a bit more of why I got Titus 3. And guess what? This week I got Titus 3 on Monday by the casting of Lot, and I got Titus 3 today on Saturday by the casting of Lot. And I believe that was just what we were reading from. Maybe uh, I know it was in what we were just reading down there somewhere. So I want to point out what the theme was on this particular day. The common theme in these chapters is our response to the perceived or real injustice against us. How are we responding when we are being treated unjustly, either by some other person that we consider should be, as a Christian, treating us in a different way, or some persecution from the unsaved, or from God himself? What was Job's attitude towards the injustice he perceived God was allowing? I got Job 33. I don't think I even pasted it down here, but I don't need to. David's attitude towards the injustice that Saul was giving towards him. My, talk about someone that trusted God. He could have said, God, why are you allowing Saul to take my life? I'm the one that's obeyed you and risked my life. Why are you allowing Saul to do this? I should be all upset and start crying and get bitter and throw a tantrum. Maybe he did and then repented. But he came to a place of acknowledging that even though Saul had rebelled against God, that it was not for him to touch who God had anointed, which is meaning the one that God appointed. For the anointing is for an appointment of what God is calling of a special ministry, in this case being king, to do. And so King David cut off the garment of Saul in this chapter. He could have killed him. They asked, they said, kill him and you'll be king. King David didn't want to do that. He just cut off his garment and then called to Saul when, he, when, he, when they left out of the cave where they were hiding and said, Saul, Saul, can't you see? I don't hate you. I'm not a threat to you. And so Saul admitted that he was wrong and yet he continued shortly thereafter. I don't know if it was a month or more later to then try to kill David again after David showed mercy to him. How terrible. That one would want power and authority that badly. Why not just say, go to Samuel and say, I want to surrender my kingship and just go and have a good relationship with God. And I am happy to have David take my place. 
because I failed God and I will suffer the consequences, but at least I have a right relationship with God and I can go on and God will still use me for whatever he's called me to in this, this life. But no, people really want all the glory. They want the attention. They want all the power. And they don't realize that what they're holding on to is just the little bait of Satan that is nothing compared to what God has for them in eternity. But if they give up that little bait that is used by the enemy to manipulate their lives to destruction, they will be fine. But if they don't give it up, if you hold on to the baits that you want and that you will not let go of, then the enemy can use it to manipulate you, like he did Saul, to the point that he was acquiring after a witch, which is an abomination in the sight of God. Is it possible that Saul repented after he was killed? It's possible that God allowed judgment to come upon him and that after that he knew God and was saved in his true repentance. It's possible. God only knows. I don't know. But he experienced great loss just like Samson experienced great loss because he allowed the baits of this world to manipulate his life to be cut short with great suffering and loss for eternity on top of it. It says in Jeremiah a number of places, thus says the Lord, this sin shall not be purged from you till you die. And in 1 John chapter 5, it says there's a sin unto death and there's a sin not unto death. I do not pray that you should pray for the brother to die. Paul said to those in the church that were in sin in his time, what are you people doing all puffed up with pride, praising God? You should be mourning because there's a person in your midst committing sin and you continue with your church service. Deliver such a one to Satan for the destruction of the flesh that his spirit might be saved in the day of Jesus Christ. Does the church today ignore sin in the camp? Do they allow leaven in their midst? God is calling for a new order in the body of Christ. They will not tolerate leaven in their midst. That will deal with the false apostles and the false teachers. That teach what is contrary to the fear of God to take people away from a close relationship with God. I am asking that signs and wonders will follow the preaching of this message. I pray that while people are watching this message, if they have infirmities in their bodies, they will be supernaturally healed by the power of God that it will bear witness with this message that I'm speaking. Wake up, church. What is the new order God is calling for? He wants your local assemblies to not limit the fullness of the headship of Christ from being in your midst. And if you cannot humble yourselves before God to be in a relationship of intimacy with him that allows the fullness of his grace, because you always think you have to have joy because you want to be seeker sensitive. Oh, yes. People can tell if you got a, a bunch of hype with joy and they can tell it's just religiosity. The question is, don't try to be 
non-religious try to be be real seek to be real not try to be real seek to be real before god and be real with one another you don't put on a plastic face the world can see through so-called seeker-sensitive nonsense. Forget all of that. When you're real, you don't try to follow what others are doing. People get into holy laughter and then everyone's laughing like a bunch of sheep following one another. I'm sorry, brothers and sisters, if all you know is holy laughter and you do not know what it means to weep and to mourn and to humble yourself before God, you are deceived and falling short of the fear of God in your assembly. Both things are there. Yes, there can be holy laughter. Yes, there's all of those things. But things are in balance. There's not extremes. There's not the winds of doctrines that come in. Oh, now we're all into holy laughter. Now we're into casting out demons and you go to the extreme on one thing or another. This is immaturity in the body of Christ because of the lack of the fear of God that results in a lack of knowing and intimacy of humility before God and honesty before God that bursts abundance of grace, of his favor, of his presence in your midst. And God is calling the church to come into a place where we don't just have an hour and a half church service. Maybe you got to start off a bit shorter with a three-hour service. I suggest a four-hour service. And when you come into this new order, you don't have pre-service prayer meetings. You make your church service a prayer meeting, okay? Everyone comes on their face before God and is in awe of whose presence we're in so that we're more conscious of Christ in our midst than of anything else. And yes, don't turn on music when God is calling us to pray and to cry out from the depths of our being in him. How can you rend your heart when you, yeah, there's a place for music to come in place, but it doesn't come first. It's the humbling that comes first. It's the awe that comes first in the assembly before whose presence we're in, that we might be sensitized to the presence of God and sensitized to Christ in one another and come to not know one another after the flesh, but to know one another after the Spirit in Christ. And so God is calling his people to become his house of prayer and to start assembly in prayer. Be still and know that I am God in your midst Yes, a time of stillness, maybe. At first, people are just praying quietly to themselves and not becoming a loud mouth to impose themselves on someone else so that the other person can't pray quietly to themselves. And then, after that, you begin to just be sensitive and one senses the Spirit rising in them to pray, and they pray, and everyone stands with them with amen. Or yes, or so be it, or whatever. And then another one prays out, and another one prays out, and prayer starts happening, and there's true repentance and humbling. And then after that, a spontaneous song. Someone speaks a word here. Someone speaks a word there out of worship. They sense the Spirit rising in them to sing a, a love song. And it happens. Someone else feels to give a word of exhortation, a word of encouragement, a prophetic word, a word of knowledge. As the Spirit moves, you speak. 
and each member of the body begins to move in the gifts. We're so used to being passive and everything being done at the front and being conscious of the people at the front more than Christ in our midst because we're not a house of prayer. And we're not out of that prayer rising in the gifts of the Spirit. And out of that comes songs. And I suggest that songs have great variety and depth and meaning. I am appalled at churches that sing almost the same songs every week. And it must be just a short handful of songs. Same ones over and over. There's no creativity because the body is not functioning in creativity because they're not moving in the gifts of the Spirit. And creativity has been lost. There should be all kinds of people. That, every person in the congregation should be free to create and write up poems and have others make music to it and have their own song books on top of it. And then those songs can be chosen by the casting of Lot. Who knows, maybe 10 songs. Trust God to lead you to the right songs. Songs that have meaning and depth. The songs that are on my website all have great meaning and depth in the words and beautiful music. And there are some really good modern songs too. But there's many that are very shallow. And all these people who want a bunch of money and if you put up their song on the screen and you don't give them the money, you're in big trouble. They might take you to court. That's not of God. So God is calling his people to move freely in the gifts of the Spirit in the assembly. Not to wait to use the microphone, but to be sensitive when the Spirit is speaking through you. Oh, well, there'll be a bit of mess where maybe I'll be humbled if I get insensitive and say it out of order. So what? Why are we worried about a mess or someone? In the Zusa Street revival, people came in and tried to disrupt the meeting and God took care of them very quickly with judgment. Some of them walked out and were immediately killed. Not because they did anything, but because God's presence was so strongly there. I re remember reading about that. I know I went to a church where there's total freedom to move in the gifts of the Spirit and people didn't know what one another was going to share and yet it all dovetailed. And on top of it, the pastor didn't know what they were going to share and it all confirmed his message. And this happened many times. I pray that that church turns back to God all the way because I can see after COVID hit, many churches fell apart because they didn't take a stand. God's calling us in this day and age to be bold and courageous. And he will guide us and direct us. I can't get into all of that. So, there is an emphasis in Titus 3 about also avoiding those that cause division. A heretic is an opinionated one in the original Greek opinionated one that causes division because they're proud because they don't know the genuine fear of God there's a state of pride so they get caught up in non-issues that are not the essential doctrines of Ephesians chapter 4 the seven ones but there are issues nowadays creeping into the body of Christ 
that take away from the fear of God. And one of them is that there are so many people that are ignorant and will say, well, Genesis couldn't really be true. It must be just an, you know, an allegory or whatever else. Because after all, science says the earth is billions of years old. No, it doesn't. That's pseudoscience. Just go to Genesis Science Network, which you can find on my website at ultimatemeaning.com on the homepage a little ways down with all the other news links. 24-7, scientists being interviewed from around the world. Evolution as never before has been shown to be a mastery of deception in these long ages as well by very solid scientific evidence that cannot be refuted. Although the liars will always have some kind of an excuse. I don't have time to get in it here. But when you negate the, the reality that there was sin because man fell, because you say everything, God used death to create everything, really billions of years? No. These are dangerous teachings that take away from the essentials of the doctrines and of the faith. And people need to know the deception and the mastery of this deception, but they've been fed a bunch of lies and so they don't know it. It's a far cry from genuine science. I'm going to go on because I could, I don't know what time it is. I guess I have to look and take a look once in a while and see. Yeah, I'm preaching for a long time here, I think. Well, pretty long time. I better go on. I'll just have to touch some things. On Tuesday, it was about the tearing down of Zion because of building it up with corruption, which is what is happening now, and all the institutions of man and also many churches are corrupt, and God will shake all things that are shakable that what is unshakable might remain. His jealousy, it says in Zephaniah, will devour the whole earth. His jealousy, he is jealous for his bride. And if you think you're going to just have church and not come into this new headship that will not limit the fullness of Christ, you have another thing coming because God will shake everything then in your midst that is shakable because judgment must first begin at the house of God. Zechariah 2 is the opposite. It is about the building up of Zion to be glorious because of delivering themselves from the corruption of the world system. This is what God is calling the church out of right now, is the world system. We must form community far more than we ever have so that we can be self-sufficient if the world system starts closing our bank accounts or whatever else for ridiculous reasons that are insane. Anyone that's corrupt is insane. They do insane things. They destroy their own life in the process and don't even realize it. But here's what God says. It says they build up Zion with blood. This is in Micah. But truly, I am full of power by the Spirit of the Lord and of judgment and of might to declare unto Jacob his transgression and to Israel his sin. Hear this, I pray you, ye heads of the house of Jacob and the princes of the house of Israel that abhor judgment and pervert all equity, they build up Zion with blood and Jerusalem with iniquity. And of course, in Zechariah, it's 
the opposite Zechariah 2. That was Micah 3, 8 to 12. Zechariah 2, 7 to 13. Deliver thyself, O Zion, that dwellest with the daughter of Babylon. For thus saith the Lord of hosts, after the glory hath he sent me unto the nations. And the glory he is seeking is Christ in the midst of the church. Unto him be glory in the church by Christ Jesus, it says in Ephesians. After the glory he has sent me. He is calling for his bride church to come forth in all the cities and towns across Canada and across the United States that your land may be healed and that you may be delivered. This is far more important. Not to neglect all that you're doing to fight the corruption and to reprove the unfruitful works of darkness. May it prosper, I pray. And they shall be a spoil to their servants, and ye shall know that the Lord of hosts has sent me. Sing and rejoice, O daughter of Zion, for lo, I come, and I will dwell in the midst of thee, saith the Lord. And in the last days there will be communities around the world that come into such unity so to fulfill John 17, because they will come into this new order, so that when Christ returns and there's that great earthquake, where the towers of the nations fall and the glory of God fills the air and the wicked breathe it and are burned at ashes, they will be untouched by the earthquake and untouched by the, they will be filled with the glory of God and his presence, unlike the wicked that will burn to ashes before them. Wednesday, Proverbs 26, 2 Corinthians 9, the blessing of God that multiplies, okay, this is about giving. But what was emphasized in these two chapters that I perceived was diligence, being prepared. They prepared to give this gift. They were diligent because in Proverbs, I got this. The slothful man saith, there is a lion in the way. A lion is in the streets. As the door turneth upon his hinges, so the slothful upon his bed. The slothful hideth his hand in his bosom. It grieveth him to bring it again to his mouth. The sluggard is wiser in his own conceit than seven men that can render a reason. If we're going to be those that are blessed of God, we will be diligent to give unto the Lord of our time, of our energy, and to give of our resources if God has blessed us with the resources to give. And there will be no ground for a curse. As it says in Proverbs 26 also, as the bird by wandering, as the swallow by flying, so the curse causeless shall not come. But if the enemy has ground to accuse us, then we experience judgment. We go on. I'm just finishing off here because I don't have time to keep preaching forever or for too long on a video. And you got Psalms 38 and 2 Peter 3. These two chapters are about repentance and living a holy life before God and the world. For I will declare mine iniquity. I will be sorry for my sin. That's what King David said. And then in 2 Peter, it says this, the Lord is not slack concerning his promises. Some man counts slackness, but is long suffering to us, not willing that any should perish, but that all 
should come to repentance. I'm going to go on after preaching for almost two hours. Wherefore, beloved, seeing that ye look for such things, be diligent that ye may be found in him in peace without spot and blameless. Don't be like the sluggard. I'm going to just skip. It says in Colossians 4, let your speech be always seasoned with grace, seasoned with salt, that you may know how to, you ought to answer every man. I'm, I, it's just too much here. I'm going to go over quickly to um, to Friday. I think I'll skip Friday for a time. It's about Esther and uh I did see something in this, but I could give a whole message on this. It's about the handwriting. It's interesting that after Esther, after Haman was hanged, Esther was still pleading with the king to have mercy because of the decree, because it was written against them still, even though Haman was hanged. And so she came again before him and was pleading, please change the decree. And of course he did. And of course, there is the handwriting of that is against us of the law. And because we come before God as Esther did in humility, for she was before him in great humility pleading, we receive of his grace when we humble ourselves before him with great reverence and awe. Yes. Yeah, I know some people teach, well, we're his son. We don't need to, no, there's an, you have to understand that his sons, even Jesus Christ, the son of God, it says in Isaiah 33, concerning the fear of the Lord, that the fear of the Lord was his treasure. Well, the fear of the Lord is reciprocating who God is. And so when Esther was reciprocating who, who the king was, she was doing it with great humility, but it was not a negative thing. It wasn't that she didn't know the king loved her. It was that she was filled with appreciation and awe before the king, unlike the first queen, which was rebellious against the king and represents the whore, the Babylonian whore that the church is called to deliver themselves from. And that is through the genuine fear of God. And so we come today where I received James 4 and Titus 3 and the common theme is being in the grace of God that allows God to justify us. I got a wrong spelling there by uh, some means. Okay. And so I read some of this already. And I point out that I received the same chapter on Saturdays, I did on Monday on Titus, that being justified by his grace, we should be made heirs according to the hope of eternal life, it says in Titus 3. Titus 3 emphasizes the grace of God, and it emphasizes the importance of maintaining good works, but also of not allowing division in the church over non-issues, becoming like the heretic. James emphasizes humbling ourselves, which I mentioned at the beginning of this message. 
we are to ask, not out of selfish motives, but out of pure motives. For only then will God answer. Only then are we praying in the character of God or the nature of God, which is this ultimate perfection of love, who Jesus Christ is, who God is. And so this is the message that God is saying to the church. He's calling for us to be strong in his grace, which means to be strong in the fear of God, which means to know what it means to be in the place of intimacy, which is the place of humility and honesty before God, which also brings joy unspeakable and full of glory. But there's both. There's both. So thank you for listening to this message. God bless you all.